0: On digital radio across the UK, online and in your ears right now. Welcome to. My green green grass of home, my hometown.
1: Here is our house.
0: This is a local shop for local people. Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack.
2: Hello and welcome back. This is Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. I'm Jeff Lloyd and you're you and don't let anybody tell you that you're not They can't take that away from you. Thank you so much for downloading episode two onto your device. And this podcast and my voice is all coming courtesy of Union Jack Radio, who, if you didn't know already, they play six decades of the best of British music and comedy. And do you need a reminder of what hometown glory is? Well, every fortnight, I take a virtual trip down memory lane with some of Britain's best comedians. Last week, Matt Ford took me to Nottingham with the help of Google. Google Maps That was the first time I rolled in a dog poo. <laughs> <laughs> this week, stand-up sensation, impeccably dressed, and if manners maketh the man, then this is a man who is maketh-duh. It's Tom Allen. The London Borough of Bromley. The old manor of Bromley, granted by King Ethelred of Kent in 862 AD, briefly mentioned in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice nearly a thousand years later, and perhaps most famously, Bromley was stated as the location of the Green Midget Cafe in this Monty Python sketch. Egg and spam! Egg, bacon, and spam! <laughs> egg,
0: bacon, sausage, and spam! Spam, bacon, sausage, and spam. (laughs) Spam, eggs, spam, spam, bacon, and spam. Beckenham, in the
2: London borough of Bromley, is the birthplace of comedian Tom Allen. Tom's been a stand up since his early 20s. He won the So You Think You're Funny and the BBC New Comedy Award in 2005. And since then, he's performed around the UK and the world. More recently, you'll have seen him on TV shows like 8 out of 10 cats does Countdown, live at the Apollo.
1: And the Royal Variety Performance. I went to quite a rough school. It was the sort of school where people would come up to you and say things like, hey yo, hey yo, do you want to fight? Dear? Do you want to fight? Is that why you look like that? You want to fight? Is that going, like yeah, you want to fight? Is that why you like that? You want to fight? Is that going like to fight? fight? Those girls could be so cruel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and with the help of an iPad and Google Maps, I'm about to take Tom time travelling to the streets where he grew up in Union Jack's hometown glory. All right, Tom, where are we?
1: We're in Beckenham, which is uh, part of Bromley, the London borough of Bromley, the largest of the London boroughs. You say that with some pride. Well, of course. Uh, Bromley's also the leafiest of the London boroughs. They've Mm. they've counted the leaves. Yeah, I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they measure that. And that's where I was born. So how would you describe it as a place then? Boring, extremely boring. (laughs) It's got sort of a suburban thing to it. mm, Yeah, extremely suburban. Yeah, in a way, I, I guess I was very fortunate to grow up uh, well, I was sort of the other side of Bromley where I actually grew up, but I was born in Beckenham. So um, is it the right side or the wrong side of the tracks? Uh, oh, there's, like, the tracks are, uh, like, <laughs> not even in Bromley. <laughs> like <it's all laughs> the, the tracks right side. don't go that way. The right, track, yeah. yeah, there's not, like, you just... Yeah. Get, yeah.
2: And who are Beckenham's most famous
1: sons and daughters? Well, well, apparently I was born in the same hospital, which is no longer there, Stone Park Hospital, Hanif Qureshi, um, I think Susie Sue and the Banshees, Suggsy sucks. And of course, Mr. David Bowie. Wow! Yeah. So it's it's got some pedigree. Yeah, and I think as a place that's quite boring, it has it leads people to do quite interesting things, perhaps. So can you take me there? What what is on the site of uh, Weston Flats? World? Now it's flats, and okay. it's on a hill uh, in Beckenham, going towards Elmers End, um, which is a sort of big roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> there's so little going on in Beckenham that the, the, roundabout, the roundabout has a name. <laughs> yeah, but before that, there's, you sort of go on this road. It's a big hill and in the distance you can see the gleaming towers of Croydon. Right. Which as a child was very much the place you go to Whit- the Whitgift Centre there to buy one's shell suit. Um, <laughs> my dad worked in Croydon as a car salesman and so often we'd go over there and meet him for lunch. But um, but Bromley then changed because then Bromley opened the Glades shopping centre. This was the age when everything was was very much... Um, defined by what its shopping facility was The Glades was excellent <laughs> And exquisite <laughs> And um, people loved it It had an Everglades theme
2: The Florida ever, the swamps Yeah
1: had A, theme- a swamp themed shopping centre
2: Yeah how, how would that manifest
1: itself? Well a sort of A very subtle way actually Lots of green mm. Lots of brass on the top of the green And then there was a sort of a feature In some of the um, railings of sort of algae <laughs> um, I would say and uh, Scum <laughs> you might say. You're you, might scum scum on a you might say.
2: <laughs> so, uh, so, Stone Park Hospital, where did uh, Mr. and Mrs. Allen take
1: you home to then? So, they took me home to Broomfield Road, which is around the corner mm-hmm. from that hospital. I don't remember that house at all because I was only there for three weeks before they moved. But I'm told reliably that Mum had the house just as she liked it and then they left. Okay. It included, I'm going to blow your mind now. Uh, open brick arches from the galley kitchen through to the dining room.
2: Why would you leave that behind? I don't
1: know. I don't know, Jeff. S- and they frequently talk about, I wish we'd stayed in that house. <laughs> <But> <laughs> that's such a parent thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, do you think that's a bit, I was going to say that it feels like a very Bromley thing, but that kind of, mm. oh, it always goes wrong for before,
2: us. It, before it all went wrong. Before it all went we wrong, so lots happy. Of things
1: going wrong a lot, yeah. <laughs> so three-week-old Tom, where do they take you to? So then we moved from Beckenham to Bickley, which is sort of between Bromley and Chisel House. So the London Borough of Bromley is sort of made up of these smaller suburbs within the suburb. Mm. And that's where I grew up and that's where they live now. So,
2: so where are we, in a terraced house? So, what, what it is essentially it like? a terrace
1: house, but it's quite a modern, quite unusual uh, aesthetic. was built in 1963, I think. So, key madman era. Um, unfortunately, no one in Bromley appreciates uh, what I would call sympathetic, sympathetic design. Right. So, ra- so rather than acknowledging that you're in a house that's clearly of a certain look, and yes, you it's, it it's a modernist classic. A modernist classic, you might say, a mid-century delight. Mm. Bearing, you know, as an, as an example, when my, de- when my parents bought the house, the previous owners uh, left them or sold them some string shelving, which is this Danish sort of very mid century kind of looks like string. Anyway, they just took it down and hid it. And it's like, and it's only recently I said, like, you know, if you wanted to buy that, it would be about £1,500. And they're like, what? And they put all my books on it as well, which I'd left there. And some of my books are not appropriate for public display, such as. My friends bought me an annual from the magazine uh, called Butt Magazine. Butt, but with <laughs> a double T? With a double T, hmm. which I would say is a combination of a gentleman's quarterly and and pornography. <laughs> so, so does it give you the, the latest advances in butt technology? You'd think so, but it has a great wit about it. Um, where they'd interview someone, but they'd record the they'd, they'd write down the interview verbatim. So they'd kind of be all the ums and ahs and the all those little bits. A bit like Fantastic Man, actually. A little bit like Fantastic Man. That kind of right. It sounds to me like they're too lazy to do any proper editing. Maybe, maybe. Yep. But then they'd have a picture of a, you know, like some bear with his junk out on the next page, and people were happy. And my friends bought this, thought this would be a lovely gift for me. So now it's sat that no one's sort of moving it next to the like David Jason autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> so so Bickley then, here
2: we are Bickley, in this, this tw- 20th century, uh, uh, 1960s house. Um, who's the nuclear
1: family? Mum, dad, me. Mm-hmm. And then four and a half years later, my brother came along. Do you remember him being born? Yes. I, yeah, I remember being missold, this whole concept really. Said, Isn't it going to be lovely? You're going to have a little brother or sister to play with. Of course, that's not what is presented to you. Because then what you're presented with is just this thing that doesn't do anything. It's really boring. It's rubbish. But it does take a lot of the attention away. And costs you all of that attention that you assumed was your world. (laughs) Your birthright. Your birthright (laughs) is suddenly totally whipped away from you. And also this promise of like, isn't it great you can have a little brother uh, to play with? No, you've got to shut up because he's sleeping all the time. Did you? Did you try and smother him at any stage? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no. But and also it was around about the same time I went to school, so it was kind of like lots of changes mm. at that time. So what do Mum and Dad do for a living then? At this, at this point, at this point, my dad is a car salesman. He sells at Nissans, mm-hmm. and my mum works part time for a company called Ladder Hire. Which guess what? Well, it what did? do they do? What do they? <laughs> <laughs> Great name for a business So what what are the perks of the job
2: for a kid If your dad is a car salesman And your mum was working in ladder hire So my dad was a postman So I'd get a lot of elastic bands And I'd get to go in the post office <laughs> van a lot And my mum was a nurse So we would get syringes Not with the needles But just the syringes to use as water pistols so the bath toys
1: Yes uh, We got a new car Sort of on loan From the showroom every year Right Which would have been exciting But I was a child and I hated it, it was boring So
2: did did you then seem swankier than you
1: were because you had this new car? In the Nissan Primera Yes Um, Well I think they've probably become a bit cooler now Mm. With the advent of the Nissan Micra Do you remember that bubble shape? Of course I mean they're very good with their shapes, the Nissan (laughs) Um, So so it's not the most exciting perks for for a kid with hindsight No, it wasn't like they were bungee jump (laughs) operators or anything
0: Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Taking a trip down memory lane today is Tom Allen. Any animals around? Not until
1: I was about eight. Mm. And then dad came in through the garden gate when we were just in the garden and he had with him two Yorkshire Terriers. My mum had not been informed of this situation, was apoplectic with rage, as was often her want, <laughs> um, and does not like animals. My dad, his friend Sally, her mum had got these two Yorkies called Zoe and Abigail. She got, she got them and then she realised she played a lot of bowls as people did back then. People,
2: crown, we're talking crown green bowling.
1: Yes, rather than 10 pin. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Far less glamorous. I don't think Nelly was yeah, somebody who, who did that. And, uh, and she said, she was going away, could we look after them for two weeks? And then it became clear, actually Nellie was looking for a home for them. Right. Mum had not been consulted on any of this. Dad suggested this at the table in front of my brother and I. We immediately were...
2: Dogs, Lobby. dogs, we want dogs Yeah, yeah we yeah, want to yeah. keep
1: them, we love them I mean, he knew what he was doing in that situation I think so And we love the dogs They were great fun to Yorkshire Terriers so We love them But my mum was always a little bit down on them But then when they passed away I mean, mum was the first one to cry Like, she was un- out of control crying
2: are they, are they in the back garden?
1: Indeed By the gate, actually
2: you said mum was, mum had a lot of rage in her. Can you, can you give me a sense of,
1: if not an impersonation of both your mum and dad? I want to I know these characters. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, comedically on stage, I often talk about my mum talking like that all the time. In reality, she's not quite like that. Um, but my mum, basically her main priority has always been like keeping the house nice, having a nice house. She's house proud. Indeed. And so the idea of dogs, and she'd always be like, oh, it smells of dogs in here. Get those dogs. Oh, I don't like these dogs. I'll get the dog off the couch. I'll get the dog. And sort of was quite mean to them. But, right, but was the first one to miss them really? And and what is your dad like as a character then? And my dad is more very full of life, I would say. He is, but he's very much his own man. He likes to do his thing. What is his thing? Like if he he'll go to the pub on his own. He just that's his thing, or he'll go and play golf with his friends, and that's his thing. Like he likes to have a bit of. He also has quite a short fuse, so we get like if there's a problem with some sort of traffic, he sort of becomes this, oh god,
2: yeah. What was the most trouble you remember being in as, as a small kid? I remember breaking a carriage clock with a tennis ball and it felt like my world was ending. I was sent to my room in that way where you're oh. crying, and you're oh, you know, doing that yeah.
1: thing. Oh, yeah, oh no, yeah. unbearable. Yeah. I remember being locked. I would sometimes throw tantrums. My parents weren't very good at dealing with it. No! And so I'd be locked in my room. So you're,
2: a... you're quite a placid person, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's learned. Wow! There was no room for misbehaving. Can you remember what type of thing would like send you into this this frenzy? not being able to do something or maybe being told off or told to shut up or something. Right. And then I would sort of get angry and angrier. And now you sort of see parents who are like, okay, okay, Miranda, let's talk about why are you are feeling like this? Why? What do you want? What do you want? Let's talk. Well, you can't have that. I'll tell you what. Like, there was none of that. Like, I'd be picked up by the back of my shirt and slung into my room. Solitary confinement
2: until you've, you've gotten through it. Yeah,
1: and just like, no, and like, yeah, being smacked until I shut up, basically. So I think that's kind of maybe... maybe that's where
2: the placid... Now, <laughs> the placid. I sometimes think, like, the, the way of gauging class, because we are class obsessed in this country, mm-hmm. is middle class people, if you go around the house, the telly goes off and you sit and chat. Working oh, yeah. class people, the telly is just on and it's the focal point. So stuff. which, which, which oh. side were you, your family?
1: the telly would go off when people came around I okay. think but the telly is on all the time like mum and dad put the telly on in the kitchen and then go and sit in the, the TV room which they it's basically they converted the garage into a TV room and they put like windows in oh, yes. at the top <laughs> there the car they don't have the car in there anymore do they have a name for it And they call it the playroom because that's what they wanted it to be like. This, this very, they're they're very much caught between. I think right these two class, uh, these two aspirational working class. Then absolutely. So do do any of the other rooms have names? um, The hallway, Uh, there's a hallway. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not that unusual. They do, they do say lounge. I always think sitting room is a more. Is what it? should Oh well, that's that sounds very posh. A sitting room, a sitting room, it? yeah. Lounge is always the sort of thing that people pick up on as like the hotels and airports have lounges. <laughs> sort of great, snobby people would say that. But they would have. We had a lounge and um, we had the playroom. Any, any a conservatory? No. Uh huh. Well, there was a time when Mum and Dad wanted to get double glazing. Of course, mm-hmm. it was the U PVC, U and it was the early nineties. Everybody was getting it. Bob from Anglian Windows. <laughs> came around to the house he said you know what you could have a little conservatory here mum and dad loved the idea had a quote everything was ready to go Bob from Mangling Windows started phoning a lot <laughs> see how we were feeling about it then disaster struck my dad was made redundant from the car salespeople, people and uh, it was a big stress because they'd made this leap to this house that they were very proud of mm. um, and so Bob from Angling Windows kept phoning and it was there was no way they could have a concern. No,
2: Bob, have some sensitivity no, here.
1: Bob didn't realise.
2: Mr. Allen's you know, fallen on hard times. For a time, yeah. So did you have a sense of that as a kid? Do you think we were, were going to lose our house?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was terrifying, yeah. Wow. And recently they've actually started talking about selling it and I'm like, but this is the house. <laughs> so I was very aware of money, yeah, just sort of around about the age of 10 or 11.
2: So what did he end up doing your dad, then after that?
1: He became a coach driver. Right. And he worked for Clarks of London then that, Okay, so yeah. is, is it executive executive oh, coach? Hire? I think executive is in the is in the is in the tagline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Let's talk about your
1: room. So describe
2: your room to me. Do you oh. have to share with your brother? I'm guessing not if it's a no, decent sized house.
1: I didn't have to share with my brother. I was in the back bedroom and I always slept with the light on. I had um wallpaper from Habitat which was a sort of flecked.
2: Tom, this is very tasteful.
1: Yeah, they were very proud of it. Mum was, is very into taste. Dad would be like, "That's fine, just do it like that." Oh. And and your bedspread, Thomas the Tank Engine, right, right. And then it evolved into something plainer, I think, maybe an Aztec design. <laughs> so,
2: were you a, a big Thomas the Tank Engine kid then? Yeah, of
1: course, the same name. <laughs> very, I very narcissistic. That. Yeah, right. And I'm Thomas, mm. and when my brother was born, I insisted he was called James because that was the next engine in the story. <laughs> We interrupt this programme for an important announcement. Union Jack Radio plays six decades for the best of British music and lets you vote for it. (gasps) Download
0: the Union Jack app or on the website and pick which song plays next. Ten million votes and counting.
1: (laughs) This is
0: Union Jack. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Taking a trip down memory lane today is Tom Allen.
1: <laughs> let's uh, let's go to your primary school. Where are we? Scotts Park Primary School on Orchard Road in Bromley. Now is this still here? That is still there, yeah, yeah. Can you can you tell me about what we're saying here? Is it a Victorian school? No, it's a 60 school, which had brown and orange, oddly patterned curtains in the hall. In a way that school seemed to have a lot of then, mm. like really ugly patterned curtains in a hall, which at the time, of course, felt huge. It's probably about the same size as this recording studio. Yeah. I was in Mrs. Hart's class. And what can you tell me about Mrs. Hart? She had a bun, she had grey hair. I was never, I never was very good at reading. This surprises me. Yeah, I know. I surprise it. I'm surprised about it. I never wanted to get my parents to do my reading with me. Uh, And so I was a bit slow with my Roger Red Hat and Billy Blue Hat, which is not a euphemism. (laughs) And yeah, and we would do gym in the hall. Mm -hmm. I
2: don't know if I'd have you down necessarily as a big PE person either.
1: No, but this was the time when it was music and movement, Uh which I was, of course, very good at. Yes. Impersonating a sycamore leaf. (laughs) Make yourself as tiny as you possibly can. Very good at doing that. Or as big as you possibly can. Can do that too. Have,
2: Have we got the apparatus in there?
1: The apparatus, yes. The apparatus would swing out from the wall and I was n- not going anywhere near that. I was rubbish at that. You're not good at uh, um, uh, shimmying up a rope. I cannot shimmy up a rope for love nor money. I would be dreadful as a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> also, when you go to secondary school, there's always that boy who's like six foot tall. He's got a beard. Yes. Looking back, like, I think he was just a man. Yeah, yeah. Undercover. An undercover yes. man in your class. Yeah. Do you remember making your first friend at school? I wasn't very good at making friends, actually. I really struggled with it. Primary school, I found more intimidating than secondary school, which is often it,
2: the other way around, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah, I wasn't very really happy at primary school at all. So did
2: you have a friend?
1: Uh, You're about yes. to break my heart here, Tom. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have many friends. Although, sort of, yeah, I never really connected with other children. I think because it, in my soul, I always had this deep sense that I was better than them, <laughs> and also. So did you? Would you seek out the company of adults then if you had uncles yeah. and aunties
2: or, yeah. or yeah, parents' I friends? I would
1: absolutely do that. I would much rather have spoken... Like, if I got invited around to someone's house for tea... So I would get invited around to people's house for tea. I'd always but rather sit in the kitchen and talk to their mum than go upstairs and play in their stupid bedroom with their toys. <laughs> with their rubbish, boring toys. And was that the same with your teachers? Did you really love your teachers? Yeah, and I'd often talk to the dinner ladies more than I'd talk to them. <laughs> but I didn't understand, like, it's kind of a weird... I was very self-conscious of going, like, just go out and play. Like, mm. what does that mean? Like, mm. just go and play. Yeah, and run just, around in the wind. I, I never. Yeah, basically, yeah. And yeah. I never had the...
2: I never felt comfortable doing that. So you are a slow reader... You can't climb a rope. What are you good at at primary school? Apparently I'm always I'm well spoken, so I'd often be the
1: narrator in assembly.
2: I want to talk to you about this because we've had an impersonation of your mum mm.
1: who maybe there's a touch of Kathy Burke in the impersonation. Sure. Can you do an impersonation of your dad? I mean my dad is kind of the same, really. Sort of like a bit kind of dad would all like that and mum would all like that. Mm. But um in truth Dad is sort of uh, sort of a London voice, really. He puts a bit of a voice on when he's talking to posh people. But... so, at what stage did you get the accent
2: where you sound like you've fallen through I a wormhole I... in time since the night, since the uh, from the nineteen twenties?
1: I apparently always spoke like it. Fascinating. And I don't know why. And I don't know if it's a gay thing. But it's it's more it's more mannered than than that. Right? Maybe see? I affected it as I got older because I just sort of the thing is I was always too posh for the normal working class kids I was at school with. And then I obviously wasn't posh, so I didn't have any posh friends to sort of relate to. So I was always sort of, again, caught in this kind of hinterland. How eccentric were you say, aged eight? I was sort of obsessed that I was in some way um, royalty. And would often, probably before I was eight, younger than that, I would often kind of have sort of like dressing up times when I'd dress up as some sort of king, using like a tea cosy and like (laughs) a dressing gown or some curtains or something. Where do you think that came from? Being better than everybody else. (laughs)
2: You're a pianist. Did you have piano lessons when you were very young?
1: I started playing the piano at seven. Let's go let's go to where you had piano lessons
2: where we had. I was lessons? at Scots
1: Park Primary School in a tiny room and I didn't like the teachers there that taught piano very much. And so she just sort of turned up and she she I'd forgotten about the piano lesson. She's like she came into my classroom, and was like, Come on, it's your piano lesson. I was like, Oh God. And she's like, have you practised? And I said, no. And she was really angry. Yeah, there, I think there was something, there was a tendency for people who seemed to really dislike
2: children. Yes. To do jobs, jobs which yes. involved interacting with absolutely. children. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and then it was only when I went to secondary school that I had a teacher, a piano teacher, who was a lot more enthusiastic mm. and encouraging.
2: Right, secondary school then. Um, where, where are we when we're going to secondary Cooper's school? Cooper's
1: Comprehensive School, co-ed school in Chislehurst. And I was talking about it with my friend today about like the fear, my mortal fear was I'd heard from some older kids about how you have to have showers when you go to secondary school. As a small child, I couldn't get changed at the swimming pool. And I'd say like, oh, I'm nervous and like doing this elaborate thing with a towel. And my parents would be like, oh, don't worry, no one's looking at you, which doesn't actually help. Um, then you have the double whammy of <laughs> but you want to feel better than everyone else. You want everybody to be looking at they you. They are looking at me, actually. <laughs> so do you remember taking your first shower at Cooper's then? So then when I got to Cooper's, it was our first PE lesson and they sat us down and said, everybody has to have a shower. And I was like, oh God, it's true. And they're like, but you can wear swimming trunks. And that right. was very reassuring to me. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I was always very shy, very like modest. <laughs> I'm shy. <laughs> <It's funny>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was school uniform like? Blue blazer, mm-hmm. black trousers, mm-hmm. white shirt, um, blue and yellow striped tie.
2: Do, do do you approve of that? Great, sartorially elegant man. But the thing
1: is, I mean, those blazers—they're polyester they're through and through. <laughs> it's ba- you're basically wearing like some sort of mesh plastic, mm-hmm. and it didn't fit. And so um, I insisted after a while that my mum took it to a seamstress who lived in my nan's. Uh,
2: you had your school blazer tailored, yeah, made to measure. Well, kind of, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. What was your school bag like? I'm, I'm w- worried that you might have had a briefcase. I had a briefcase. In reality, it came in that I actually was at that point like, well, I don't care what any of you think, I'm going to run. There comes a point when you can either go, I'm going to be really normal and blend in and do everything I can to blend in, or I can go completely other way and stick out. And so that is when I got a briefcase. And that's when I started to dress up in Victorian The clothing. briefcase
2: was the making of you.
1: Kind of, Yeah. Kind of.
2: All right, let's 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 get on to the Victoriana then.
1: Yeah. So I was always fascinated with old things. And then when I got to about the age of about 13, 14, I started to dress up in Victorian clothing. So then I would start, started to be allowed to go up on the train on my own to London. And I would go around markets where I'd go to Notting Hill. And I, there was a shop in Victoria called Cornucopia. And there was Notting Hill and Islington. And it was sort of an excuse for me to go on little adventures on my own. And I got quite good at bartering as well. Like, they'd be, like, be like a wing collar. They'd be selling for like four pounds. So I'm like, will you take two pounds fifty? And they'd say, I'll take three.
2: When, yeah. when you're coming home with a carrier
1: bag full of Victorian clothes, <laughs> my parents were horrified. <laughs> so, do you sort of curious. run upstairs and hide it in your room or what? Yeah, kind of like my mum would like find things and put them in the garage because, like, they're full of lice. <laughs> <laughs> get fleas off it. Someone probably died wearing that. But I was always really fascinated by it. Can you describe a Victorian outfit to me? Actually, one of the, my favourite things I bought was a, a bit later. It was from 1937. Dinner suit. Dinner jacket. Um, like a smoking jacket type thing? Um, no, more of just a black dinner jacket. But there's a certain look that that time had where the jackets were quite short. Mm. Very, sort of had a sort of elastic in the wool, which meant they were very kind of fitted. So they had the effect of making you look very broad and tall.
2: Where, where are you going in this then?
1: Well, largely I was sitting down watching the television. <laughs> yeah, and I sat in my room.
0: Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Taking a trip down memory lane today is Tom Allen. So you tell me about
2: your first crush?
1: Yes. Was it someone in your school year? Well, it's funny, actually, because I think I sort of had crushes when I was quite young. I remember being like kind of like obsessed with a boy called Martin in my nursery class.
2: In no, as young as that.
1: Yeah, but not you know obviously not.
2: Yeah, no. Like asking
1: him out. <laughs> yeah. There's another boy called Lawrence. I mean, he might well listen to this, but I remember seeing him coming in in the afternoon where he'd had to do some sort of football practice, and I was like, "I like those shorts." And that's when I realized I was gay. What age? Nine okay, but I had this sort of sense of being different, yes, but um yeah, and then, but you were able
2: to put a name on it at, at nine.
1: Well, I think I was consciously aware of like I seem to be more I seem to be much more taken with guys, so
2: in terms of the environment, the people who were around you at the time, how comfortable did it
1: feel talking about that or not? There was absolutely no talking about. It. I remember walking around as a child with a limp wrist and sort of talking in quite in a effete way, yeah, and I remember being told off and um and I remember. Secondary school: two girls walking around holding hands, and a teacher shouted at them. Really? Yeah, it was quite. Looking back, I mean, I'm sure there there have been uglier times in humankind, but Mm. there were certainly a lot of negative messages there. And I think, um, I think maybe it still exists, actually, to an extent. It's a very straight area. So, when you're a teenager and you've got all these hormones coursing around Mm. your body, and you're getting all these boners, like what? What is your outlet? Well, to distract myself, like in swimming, I would go through my um, scales and arpeggios in my head. <laughs> 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 Times tables, I'd go through. Yeah, anything.
2: So, would you? Did you have a sense that anybody else, say, in your school year or or, or um, peer group, was
1: gay? There was a boy who worked in a hairdresser's two years above, and he he was. I think he might have been out as well, and he was just bullied mercilessly. And people would. His name was Tom as well. Not a gay, he's called Tom, and people would be like shouting his name out and being just vile to him all the time. It was, it was, and it was unthinkable to be like to come out, and there was no sense of like, oh, you'll be supported if you do.
2: So, what are you walking around feeling shame or fear shame and fear. shame? It's
1: horrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, not to take us on a
2: no, no, sad.
1: <laughs> so,
2: in terms of your parents, was there, was there a coming out moment?
1: Not until I was in my twenties. Is that right? Yeah, real terror. Uh,
2: so how did that go? They were like, yeah, we, of course. Oh,
1: I told my mum first, mm. which said, yeah, I've always known, which was a little bit frustrating because I sort of thought, well, maybe you could have mentioned it. <laughs> uh, and then she said, I wouldn't tell your dad if I were you. And I didn't tell him until I was about 24 and I just got fed up and I phoned him, which I recommend actually as a way of coming, coming out. Coming out on the phone. Because then you can hang up and then it turns <laughs> <depends> how it <laughs> <depends laughs> sort of. My dad was actually very emotional. Very, He started crying. So. Wow. Tell me about school discos. Would you enjoy those? I talked to the teachers quite a lot. <laughs> <dance>. <laughs> what were the, What were the big songs at a school disco? Uh, it was around about the time of uh, Oasis. So like mid to late 90s. So which was Brit quite pop. laddish in its way. Which... Yeah, it was like the, the age of the lads. And of course I was the opposite of that. So I'd know, I feel like the 80s were probably, if I'd been more in the 80s, they might have had a bit more flamboyance about them. But the 90s were very stripped back, bare, angst. Uh, emotional. I couldn't be emotional because I couldn't talk about my sexuality. Um, I wanted to be flamboyant and showy offy, but everything was about sort of grunge yeah. and introspection. And so I did again, felt quite <laughs> outside, <laughs> a man out of time. Yeah, in every way, in every way. So did you enjoy any of that music? Yes, actually. So my first album of, that I bought, the first album I was given was Petrol Boys Please. But my first album I actually bought with my own money was um, Don't Look Back in Anger. But really, I should have been a Blur fan. Because the, the thing, the blur, the sort of poetry of blur and the kind of social commentary of blur was much more up my alley. But again, it was just like, just go with the flow, just do that, blend in. I didn't, I did like them, but I didn't like, I didn't love Oasis. And my mum would be like, oh, I can't stand this music. I can't, yeah, I can't talk to you if that's music's on. You'll have to turn it off. What music did your mum and dad have in the house? Well, mum's always been very into music. Like, I remember being brought to Petula Clark's downtown for one birthday. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, the signs were there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everything really. Mum loves music and loves having music around. So from George Benson to Burt Bacharach to um, The Kinks to The Who um, and Phil Collins' Genesis. Right. I mean, the whole gambit.
0: You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack.
1: So where would you go underage drinking? Well, there was a point when I'd go round to some friend's house and we'd drink hooch and then I remember drinking too much and being a bit too drunk. And they were a bit older than me, and they were friends from like sort of drama and stuff. So they were they were a bit flamboyant actually. So, so then, where
2: would you just be in people's houses? Then you wouldn't go down the park, or there wasn't a pub. No, where you'd there, go wasn't, no there wasn't any of
1: that. No. Sure. So and then as we got older, Bromley High Street, there's like pubs along there, but I never wanted to go. There. I was too scared because so there was always stories of like gangs and like. Again, who would I talk to? Like, the girls didn't want to talk to me because they wanted to talk to the boys. But the boys didn't want to talk to me because I wasn't boyish enough for them. So yeah, yeah. Sort of, there was no point. So I just stayed in and watched One Foot in the Grave with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> what was brave. what was the first film you there. remember going to see in the pictures? I think I went to see The Fox and the Hounds. When they were doing those kind of Disney replays and crying a lot during them. Yeah, Dumbo. These, these are very harrowing films if you watch them. I would not watch it. I've never seen it since I watched it as a child. And I was like, his mum is locked up in prison and then she dies. At what age did you get into theatre? I was packed off to the Patricia Haven School of Dramatic Art when I was eight years of age. Looking back, I, didn't, I don't know if I did actually like theatre because now I find a lot of plays quite boring. <laughs> so I think I was just gay. Right, which is like the only out. That was basically the only out. You like the I culture around it more than you like the plays themselves. Yes, yeah, I love the idea of spinning an amusing anecdote. But like, who wants, who cares about verse and prose? <laughs> so, that. would you be in school plays at your secondary school? Yes, of course. I was very involved in the dramatic department there. Do you remember any productions? Yes, I was bottom in *Midsummer Night's Dream*, and and then they did they did do musicals as well, but they never included me in those because that was a different teacher ran those, and I don't think she really liked me. Uh-huh. So I was always like I was always humiliated by being in the chorus while all the other people who were into drama were allowed to have leading parts in that. Where are they now though? In the West End they're, they're actually the huge stars, Broadway. Huge yes, stars. Yeah. <laughs> um did you do work experience? Uh yes. A teacher recommended that there was a youth theatre operating out of the National Theatre on the South Bank, which wasn't that far on the train. And so I asked them if I could come and do work experience. So I did, and it was terrible. Oh. And The last thing that a big publicly funded, you know, chocked to the gills with kind of very liberal artsy people wants hanging around their office is a sort of posh sounding, um, (laughs) jumped up 15 year old from Bromley uh, who wants to be Noel Coward. That's not what they want. They want to feel like they're helping somebody, and I was because that's sort of what they like to think they're doing. Yeah. So they did not. I think there was a, a thing of like, oh god, why? Why is he here?
2: But this that's the funny thing with you because you are actually technically what they're after. You just don't necessarily <laughs> present as it.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe a bit. Yeah, I don't know. They like a bit of. They like a bit more sort of anguish. I think about them. I don't know because they're sort of very posh people themselves, generally, who've done an arts degree and it's been great actually. And like, actually, all my family have always worked in theatre, so it's great. And then they and they sort of feel like they should be helping people more. And what, I, I think I contradicted that. What age did you leave school? Uh, 18. So what did you do straight out of school? My dad really wanted me to go to university, but I didn't want to go. I think, looking back, I think I felt like they couldn't afford it with the whole, like, losing the house thing. But I didn't understand how it worked financially. And then you had to get a loan, but was the loan for the fees or was the loan for the, how do you live? And mm. I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to ask my dad to pay my rent in a foreign town. Foreign. <laughs> Such a promy mentality, Oren, To go to go to Warwick, so far, so far away. So I didn't go, and I started working. So where, where are you working? Where's your job? Um, temping. I worked as a waiter. I worked to at my dad's golf club, which I hated. What's um, the name of the golf club? Sandridge Park Golf Club. Mm-hmm. I mean, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> dad, Dad still goes there and is very fond of it. But it was a very, um, again, a very Bromley, very blokey. Very. It was almost like if you'd sort of put a napkin down on the table, people would have considered it a feat, right? And, and repulsed, been repulsed by it. Like anything. Again, it's as though any kind of like taste or. Pleasure yeah. or like joy is kind of seen as weakness. Yeah. And everybody's so desperate to prove this kind of masculinity that they kind of feel they have like this defensiveness and this class consciousness that they end up being like, no, no, we don't, no, we want it to look ugly, that's fine. <laughs> don't go getting ideas that you're better than you are. Somebody did say to me that you've got ideas above your station. You know? Who said that to you? Uh, my mum's friend what had, you,
2: what had you done to provoke it?
1: Um, I think I said I wanted to be the prime minister. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's so funny because I think people from different social classes—they have it drilled into them. You can be anything yeah. that you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're from, yeah. you know, not not from those social classes, it's very much like don't get ideas above don't your get station. don't get
1: ideas above your station. And I suppose it's is it meant with a sort of kindness, maybe lower your expectations, and you won't be disappointed. Or maybe it's meant with a sense of don't leave us. Mm. Maybe I don't know.
2: How were you as a waiter?
1: Fabulous. Yeah. My dessert trolley was the talk of the Sunday lunch. <laughs> I was very good I got shouted out a lot Because I took too too long over it And I would talk to people And I'd make a sort of Big song and dance About telling people What was on the trolley Which was my outlet My thing I liked it yeah. And I think actually The customers did like it But it was sort of Frowned upon by the management I think At one point I poured the wine On the table And I got called like Don't pour the wine We don't do that here We haven't got time <laughs> You just plonk it down You put it down And then you look yeah. to it At what age did you decide Comedy's the thing then? Yeah I thought I wanted to be an actor but I I do do some acting sometimes I think again I just realized I just want, I was just gay in a show off and I li- and the things I liked doing when I was doing acting stuff doing youth theatre things were the f- comical things I liked making people laugh but it at that point stand up wasn't the thing that it is now I'd say yeah. it was very much it was still a very blokey working class club environment which would be very terrifying actually Working men's club, sorry, not working class. It was much more kind of bawdy and macho sort of environment. And I thought, I can't do that. And I'd always loved Victoria Wood growing up. And mum and I would always sit and watch Victoria Wood and laugh. And And then in about 2005, when I was working at that point, and uh, some friends of mine, Charlie Baker and Sam Battersea, said to me, you should have a go at doing stand-up. You know, you should have a go. And he'd had a go at doing it. And he's like, you could do it, you know. And I thought it was such a stupid idea. I'd be so out of place there. I sort of liked the idea of it, the audacity of it. And so I gave it a go. So
2: where did you go? You get you get, you go to Bickley Station or Bromley Station, you get on the train, where are you, where are you heading to? What? To do your first stand-up?
1: So I was booked to do, a friend of mine was running a, a gig at the Pleasance in London. A friend of mine said, oh, there's another thing the night before uh, at Bethnal Green Working Men's Club. And so I went there to do my first gig, which, although it's quite trendy, it still had that sort of air of back being quite terrifying. And I went straight from my job I was listening to the Scissor Sisters on the way there and I went to do this sort of five-minute set and uh, it seemed to go okay. Did you tell your parents you were going? Yeah, and they've always been so supportive. So that's why I'm maybe painting a very unkind picture of them. But I remember, yeah, yeah, they were a bit worried, I think, for me, but they came to the first... Right. And they came to that and they were very, very supportive and they've always been like that I'm always keen to come to shows and stuff. So they've, I'm very lucky like that. Can you remember what your opening line was? Um, I think it was something about being sorry. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry to be here. Like, oh, we're always saying sorry, aren't we? And I went into it like that. And I just sort of told it as a story. I've never been, I've never really been interested in jokes. i never really yeah, liked yeah. jokes that much. I was yeah. like, just presenting a world and sort of trying to take people on a tour of it, like I'd seen Victoria Wood do, which worked at first. And people sort of, and I went into some newcomer competitions and people liked that because it was sort of different. But then when I tried to put that into the clubs, which was still very macho, like I described, you know i'd walk out in front of a crowd of like sailors and stag parties in plymouth and i'd be like oh hello has anybody seen the film amelie and they would be <laughs> apoplectic mm. furious that someone had presented like they'd be like what's this <laughs> tell us a joke mate <laughs> but we, you found your audience over time yeah i learned i'd went through a long period of doing those sorts of environments and 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 that was quite terrifying and you sort of learn hopefully to um synthesize something from what you originally do and what they want and you hopefully find a middle ground and and you so sort of, you get better and you just sort of get and I think as you get more confident people will trust you more
2: when you think of Bickley and Bromley and Beckenham do you feel that you are recognised as uh, one of their successful sons now when you well, go on those TV shows like Mock the Week and so on? Do you feel you people at home
1: are rooting for you? Have you got any know. sense it's of people of knowing well, who you are? I did a show this earlier this year in Blackheath, which is quite close, so some people from Bromley came to that. And that's the only show where someone said at the end, yeah, why would you leave your jacket done up? Like, it's clearly too tight. <laughs> And like other people I know, like go back to their hometown and like everybody's like, please. No, I mean, they're not all like that, but I just thought that was fun. Like that makes you stronger. That is kind of a bit where I'm from. And also my school asked me back to do a speech at their open day. And they put my picture up on a sort of alumni board. And I felt very proud of that. And then I looked very closely and I saw someone... I'd uh, chewing gum on my face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, one last question. If we're going to time travel to any of these locations that oh, we've talked about, yes. one moment in one location, where do we go back to? It could be for an hour, it could be five minutes. Oh, that's, um,
1: that's a very good question. Did
2: you tell you There is no rush here.
1: Maybe something like when I was um, picked to play Thomas Bernardo in our school assembly about Dr. Bernardo. And I was chosen to do that, and I was extremely proud of myself. Were you a big hit? I was very nervous, actually, so I didn't really enjoy it. So that's maybe why I'd like to go back for that. What seemed like an hour was probably about five <laughs> seconds. Would you like to give... How old were you at the time? I was in Mrs. Piddock's class, so I was probably about six. And you'd like to give the six-year-old you
2: a bit of coaching? You want to just calm yeah. down
1: a little bit? Let's calm down. But I was very excited. I think I got to, a, to wear a uh, tailcoat. So you can imagine my delight. <laughs> I think uh, I think a lot of things in life, I think maybe everybody does it to an extent, you sort of go, oh, I wish i just relaxed and enjoyed it a bit more. So I suppose that's, yeah, that's probably what I try and encourage myself to do. Tom Allen,
0: thank you. Thank you. Only on Union Jack. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory.
2: And that's it. Another trip down memory lane here on Union Jack with the lovely Tom Allen. Thanks again for sticking around till the bitter end of Hometown Glory. Keep listening to Union Jack because you'll never guess what's coming up next. No, literally you won't. There are six decades of British music all voted for by listeners on the Union Jack app, so I have literally no idea what's playing next. It may have even changed in the time it's taken me to say this sentence. I'll be back in two weeks' time for another episode of Hometown Glory. Thanks again for listening.
0: Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. Hello there. We're Union Jack. First time listening to us? Welcome to the family. We play the best of British music. Shaw
2: plays a mean
0: best of British comedy. <laughs>
2: Don't panic, you stupid little plonk. Don't
1: mention the war. I have a cunning plan. He's not
0: the masala, He's a very naughty boy.
2: <laughs> and you lot get involved too.
0: Tally ho, it's Union Jack. <laughs>